0: I don't know about you, but I don't like being sick. I've been sick before, and I'm pretty sure I'll get sick again, but I don't like it. I like being healthy. I like being able to get up and move around and do what I want to do when I want to do it. Um, I don't like being sick. But there's a time in the Bible where somebody got sick, and Jesus dealt with it. And I want us to look at that story because there's, there's a lot to learn in it. I'm in Luke chapter 4, um, it's, this isn't a real long story, but I want us to get practical lessons for ourselves as spiritual men and women from the story. We're going to start reading in verse 38. It says, Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law... Was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. So he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. At sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness, and laying his hands on each one, He healed them. Moreover, demons came out of many people shouting, You are the Son of God. And he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Messiah. Demons know some things we don't know. They knew that Jesus was the Messiah. We don't know that. We're learning it, little by little. So Peter's mother-in-law had a high fever. A fever is a sign of infection. There's some kind of infection going on in her body. Don't know what it is. We still don't know to this day. There weren't, we don't have enough symptoms here to identify, but she has a high fever, now, if you have a high fever, it's a sign this thing's pretty nasty. It's pretty intense. Uh, if you don't have antibiotics, and they didn't back then, you could die from it. And she's at home. Now, if we, go look, if we would look back up at verse 31, which we're not going to take the time to do, but if you want to check me out, you can do that. It says this was a Sabbath. It was a Sabbath day. So Jesus went to the synagogue... On the Sabbath. It's like you and I going to church on Sunday morning, or in, in our case, Saturday night. Jesus went there. And he healed somebody, and that we've, we didn't read that part of the story. Now it's all over. And he goes to Peter's house. Now I had an opportunity years ago to, uh, to, to go on a tour of the Holy Land. And one of the places they took us was the city of Capernaum. And Capernaum is just a a ruins today, but they have certain things they've identified, and archaeologists have excavated out some things. And they found a building that they think was Peter's house. And they've got a a couple layers of floor plans there on a little sign for you to look at. There's not much to see because it's not that big. And then they will take you about two blocks away to where the synagogue in Capernaum was. And they show you the footprint of that building and uh, two blocks. So Jesus walked about two blocks from the synagogue in Capernaum to Peter's house because it's dinner time. How many know what that means? Sunday dinner. You don't have sandwiches and leftovers, right? Sunday dinner, you eat pretty good. So he's going home after the church service. And Peter's mother-in-law is sick, which tells me that's probably put some stress on Peter's wife. This is her mother. Maybe she's going to die. But she's the hostess. It's her job to make sure Jesus gets a good meal, and every place Jesus goes, he's got 12 disciples following him. This is a big responsibility she's got, and her mother's in the other room about to die. You see the, you see the stress, you see the story here that's being unfolded. The reason I'm talking to us about this is because it, there's an infection in Peter's mother, mother mother-in-law. And infection has to be dealt with. So we're we're calling this message faith fever because we can get an infection in our faith. And if we get an infection in our faith, it can kill us. It'll certainly kill the church and keep the church from being able to be healthy and growing and what the Lord intends it to be. In a recent poll, and you know polls are tricky, you can kind of stack the deck any way you want with a poll by deciding who you're going to ask certain questions. But in a recent poll, uh, the Gallup poll people did a survey and they, to ask people what religion they were. In America, 50% said no religion. That's a serious issue. Would you agree? 50% don't declare any faith. They don't want to be seen as a part of any organized religion. Maybe they believe, but they don't want to be identified with any faith. What has infected us? That's a fever in the church. It's a fever in America. We say, in God we trust... But 50% of all Americans say they don't have any religion. Is it just a motto or is it true? Do we trust in God? So I want to share here seven problems, seven diseases, seven infections that the church can have. And we need to ask ourselves, is this true of me? Is this speaking of me? So here's here's the first one. We assume we can be independent believers. We don't need one another. We don't need to be part of a church anyplace. We can be independent. I believe in God. God loves me, so I'm okay. I don't need to be a part of of fellowship of believers and assembly of the saints. I don't need to be a part of that. We assume we can be independent believers, but I want us to see that when Jesus got finished with his church meeting in the synagogue, he went to Peter's home. He didn't say, I'm wore out, I've exhausted myself, all this spiritual energy has come out of me and a lot of people got healed and set free, I just need to get away and unwind. No, he wanted to be where the people were. We need to interconnect with one another. We need to lock arms with our brothers and sisters. The church will die if we're all Lone Rangers. I'm old enough, I like watching old Lone Ranger TV shows. (laughs) Lone Ranger always had Tano. But you know... never had a home any place. He was always camping out, going from one crisis where he could be the hero to the next crisis where he could be a hero. He never settled down and was the marshal any place. He was always running, moving from here, moving there. He was an independent ranger, the lone ranger, all by himself. Lone ranger Christians not only drag the church down but Lone Ranger Christians drag themselves down because the Holy Spirit that gives guidance to each of us is living not just in me it's living in people all around me and when I interact with brothers and sisters that have faith and they have the Spirit of God inside of them when I interact with those people I benefit if I don't interact with those people then the only influence I have in my life is what I watch on television. Whatever news channel I watch is going to influence me. I don't, I don't get the truth. I get somebody's uh, perspective. There's a kind word. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 through 25 says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on, toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching the day capital d that means the day of the lord when he comes back again as we see the world around us changing and we see it more and more lined up with the you know the second coming and i see that i see those signs do you the more we see those signs of the world, is, is in a mess. And we've turned our back on God who brings blessings. We're in trouble. We need each other. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, I need you. We need each other. That's the first, first infection that can come in, into our lives. Here's the second infection. We await sinners to attend church. We're praying for revival. Yeah, keep right on praying. And we're just going to keep waiting for God to bring him in. I got news for you. He's not going to bring him in. He's called us to go and bring him in. Did you read how this story ended? The believers went out and brought people in. I'll talk about that in a little bit. We await sinners to attend church. Now it says when Jesus found out that she was sick, he went over and he bent over her. Now my native language is King James Version. I read that in that and it says he stood over her. Well in my mind there's a big difference between bending over her and standing over her. So I wanted to know, okay, what is the Greek word? What does it really mean? So I looked that Greek word up in Strong's Concordance to see what what he said it means. And he says it means to be present, assault, come, be at hand, and stand by. So Jesus went over and stood by her, gave his attention to her, focused on her, if you want to see somebody set free, you got to stand by them. you got to give them some attention. You have to interact with them. you got to draw close to them. You have to have some kind of connection with them. Jesus did that, and he's trying to teach us. If, if we have this infection of awaiting sinners to come, nobody's going to come, and our church would just be like those thousands of other churches who close their doors over and over again, because nobody's coming. We're all praying and waiting for them to come in. Somebody's got to go get them. I wonder who can go get them. Somebody's got to talk to these messed up people whose lives are just like mine used to be and probably just like yours used to be. Somebody's got to give them the truth. Somebody's got to take them by the hand and show them the right way. Somebody say amen. amen. She needed delivered. And there's a whole lot of Christians that need delivered. We had things happen in our lives down over the years that, that, that became a bondage to us. And we learned that hurts, so we just put up defenses and keep that infection safe inside of us. Jesus come to deliver that infection. He wants to set that free. The church, if it's not careful, we expect sinners to clean themselves up before they come to church. They don't know how to clean themselves up and they don't even know that they want to clean themselves up. Jesus wants to clean them up. We need to go get them while they're still dirty and drag them in here. We need to go get people who are still mixed up and bring them to God's house so they can meet Jesus. Matthew 28, 19 says this, Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go, go and make disciples. How do you make a disciple? You sit down and you coach somebody. You mentor somebody. You just give them life lessons. That's how you disciple them. It's not that difficult. A coach, a mentor, we know how to do that. That's discipling somebody. But involve God in that process. And you're making disciples. Making disciples of all nations. The word there is ethnos, all ethnic groups, all kinds of people, the rich, the poor, the educated, the uneducated, the the people like me and the people that aren't like me. Go get them. That's our orders. Go find them. Take them by the hand and lead them to the cross. Somebody say amen again. That's an infection if that's our attitude. We're just going to wait for them to come in. Here's the third thing. Boy, i got to move. We accept that faith should be private, personal. My faith is private. My faith is personal. But that doesn't mean I'm supposed to keep it to myself. If it's real faith, it's going to be so real and so potent, it's going to find a way to leak out. I cannot keep it in. It's going, to find, it's going to find some opportunity to squirt this way or spray that way because it's just pressure. Oh, God, help us to have that kind of pressure. It says when what we read, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sicknesses. We focus on the sick people that Jesus healed, but we don't dare forget that it was the people that brought them. Somebody had to go get the sick people and bring them in so that Jesus could then heal them. Somebody's got to do this. And her healing inspired other people to go and bring people in so that they could be healed. You see that? The people that were, it doesn't say they had great faith, so they crawled into where Jesus was. No, it was people went and got them. This is how the gospel spreads. This is, the, this is how the good news is supposed to work. Those of us that have experienced it, we're supposed to be sharing it with people who haven't. If we keep it personal and private and keep it to ourselves, the world just gets worse and worse and worse. And who are we going to blame? that they never did come to Christ. It's our responsibility to pass on the faith that we have. Here's number four, the fourth kind of infection that can get in the church. We align tradition with spirituality. Tradition can be spiritual if it's got some meaning, but just tradition in itself isn't necessarily spiritual. There's a couple things that Christians, and maybe it's people in our church, maybe it's people in other churches, but Christians have a problem with, with it. We, we fear change. We like it the way it is, we just don't like change. I, I remember, I'll tell you this story. Um, many, many years ago, uh, there was a Another church in CMI i 'm not going to tell you where, but it was in northern Indiana. It was in a city that you 'd recognize, and they had a, a pretty sizable church, and the pastor uh, was was kind of old, I remember, and uh, I went I was able to go to his funeral when he finally passed away, and someone else in the church then became the pastor. And uh, while he was the pastor, the church wanted to honor him. So they they had a painting made of the pastor. Uh, it, was a, it was like a full-size painting, big big picture. And they put it in the foyer of their church so everyone that came in would, would see, this is our founding pastor. Well, that was a long time ago. That pastor eventually died. I told you I went to his funeral. And uh, then the uh, uh, the. The young man that came up through the church and understood the church and the traditions and the culture of the church, uh, he became the pastor. And he was there for a number of years. And finally, he decided to retire. He'd been there like 20 years after he had taken over from the pastor. And he retired. And, tur- and the, the, the congregation got a new pastor. And he was a, a pastor that was in that church for about a year. And after he'd been there about a year, he decided it was time to make some changes. They were in an old, it was an old Methodist building, you know, a brick building, real big and fancy, built hundred years ago. Uh, they were in that, that building. And uh, the new pastor decided they need to do some upgrading. So one of the things he decided they were going to do is take down the painting of the founding pastor in the foyer and put it in their fellowship hall down in the basement. Whoa! church went crazy. They fired the new pastor, they got the pastor who was now retired to come back in and they brought that painting back up of the good old days, bygone days. And I thought I thought at the time when I heard that, I don't want them to ever put a painting of me up someplace in the church <laughs> as an idol. Right. That every that 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 you cannot Because I'm going to be gone and a new pastor's coming to town. Someday, not next week, but someday it's going to happen. And I don't want to be part of holding things in the past. We fear change and change can be good. Somebody say amen. Amen. Here's the second thing. We fear creativity. Being creative is coming up with something new, doing it a new way, in a new style. We kind of fear being creative. We kind of want to keep it just like it's always been. But God has given us the gift of creativity. Did you know that? That's why we're called moms and dads. We're a part of the creative process. And if God's given us a brain to think and the Spirit of God to inspire us, we ought to be coming up with some real creative things. Creative worship. Creative, um, I try to come up with creative ways to preach the Word. Same message, but I try to be creative every time I do it. We should be creative. Thirdly, we fear charismata. That's the Greek word for spiritual gifts. We're afraid of what we don't understand. We want the power of God to be here like it was in the good old days, in the Bible days. But we're afraid of it. We're afraid of losing control. We, wanna, we want to we, we be in charge of things and we're just afraid it'll get out of hand. Well, remember this. Yeah, people do get out of hand, but the Spirit of God never gets out of hand. Amen. He knows exactly what He's doing. And remember this, if Jesus isn't in church you go home with the same demons you had when you came in. He's the only one that can deliver you and set you free. We need Jesus in this church. Here's the fifth infection. We affirm we are too busy to make disciples. We know that's what the Lord tells us to do but we're just too busy. I mean, we, we work all day, and then we have, have re- family responsibilities, and we got to fix this around the house and maintain that around the house. And, and, then I, and then the pastor's asking me to come do something else. I'm just too busy. I don't have time for that. If you're too busy to serve God, you're too busy. you got your priorities a little bit askew. Because God can't bless you if you don't sow some seed. You have to do something. When we make something good happen for somebody else, God makes that good thing happen to me. So instead of trying to get it for myself, I need to give it away, expecting God then to return it to me. That's how, that's how the flow works. Peter's mother-in-law, once Jesus rebuked that fever and healed her, it says she got up at once and began to minister on him, to him, to wait on him, to minister to him. First thing she did is get out of bed and started serving him. If Jesus has delivered us and set us free, first thing we need to do is get up and serve him, do something for him. First thing we do. And we all establish priorities for our life, don't we? Here's number six. Oh, you might not like this one. An infection is to avoid paying our debts. Dues. I'm sorry, dues. You can never pay your debt. But I think this idea of proportionate giving is something that God has set up in the Bible. And I get... Maybe we could call it our dues. If I want God to do something for me, I got to do something for him. So it's my dues. Do I want God to bless me financially? And I got to bless him. I can't act greedy like I don't trust God and then expect God to respond to my faith. If I give to God, God God's going to give back. If I keep it to myself because I really don't think he's going to help me, what kind of faith is that? God will respond to that faith. Salvation is a free gift. Absolutely. You You can't buy it. But we can bankrupt the lighthouse. You understand that? Malachi says, bring your tithe into the storehouse. So that there will always be food, what's needed in the storehouse. He didn't say, ship it off here and ship it off there and do what you want with it. Bring it to the storehouse. We can bankrupt the storehouse. That would be a tragedy. And that would certainly not help America get strong again, get healed. Here's number seven here's an infection. That'll keep the church from growing. We're afraid to declare our faith. To declare it means to speak it out. I'm afraid they'll they'll laugh at me if I speak it out. They'll ridicule me. They'll, They'll think I'm weird if I speak it out. Romans chapter 10. Verses 9 and 10 says, If you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. When I speak out, The Lord has delivered me. I am free from that. When I speak it out, it begins to be reality. If I don't speak it out, everything stays the same. There are some things we need to declare. Now, remember I told you that this was the Sabbath, and Jesus was in the synagogue, and then he went back to Peter's house, healed Peter's mother-in-law, Then it says, the last verse we read, it says, At sunset, at sunset, the people began to bring all these sick people in. What's the significance of at sunset? When the sun sets, the Sabbath is over. Not supposed to do any work on the Sabbath. But when the sun goes down, Sabbath is over, let's all go get our miserable friends. Let's, let's go get those people who have no purpose for living. They're home, they're sick, they're, they can't function. Let's go get those people and let's bring them to Jesus because Jesus can do something with that life that has no purpose. He can give it purpose. But it must be spoken out. You and I have to speak it out. And the healing that Peter's mother-in-law received inspired other healings. The healing that you received should inspire other people's healings. The deliverance that I received should inspire other people's deliverance. That's why... That's why I keep coming back and I retell the story about when I met Jesus and and, uh, when I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit and how grateful I am to what God did in my life. I keep telling the story because I'm hoping it will inspire you to step up and receive the same thing. Well, we were praying a little bit ago. Um... Herb, Herb was in the prayer time, and, and he had this vision, if we want to call it that, he's, a perception he had in his mind, and it was a, a thumb. It was a, a white, am I telling this right? It was a, a white field, and there was a thumb pressing. He could tell it pressed because the thumb was kind of white, you know, when you press on your thumb, it forces the blood out. And he could see that thumb. And he said, I don't know if it's one individual he's pressing or if it's the whole And as we continued to pray, I kind of felt the Lord was saying to me, that's the thumbprint of God in your life. And yes, it has a little pressure. He's putting His thumbprint on you. And then what you need to do is you need to transfer that thumbprint to somebody else. And they'll transfer it to somebody else. And they'll transfer it to somebody else. And that's how the church got to where it is today all these centuries later after Jesus was on the earth because people kept that thumbprint passing it on to somebody else. And I want to encourage you, my brothers and sisters, keep the thumbprint passing. And yeah, it takes a little pressure. But that's how it continues to spread. And I want to see the church of Jesus Christ spread I want to see it grow, and that means new people. That means new souls getting set free. I want to see the church excited, and that means new people getting healed, new people getting delivered, new people getting inspired. I want to see that. You want to see it? Amen. Let's stand together. Now, it says they brought in people with Different kinds of problems, various things they needed healed from. And in this room, we have a lot of people with various kinds of problems we need healed from, we need delivered from, we need set free from. Various. King James says diverse, different kinds. But Jesus healed them all, every one. So healing isn't just physical, getting rid of the fever. Healing can also be deliverance from baggage in the past that's sunk barbs into us, and it's holding us back like an anchor. He wants to set us free. Do you believe that? Yeah. Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters I pray for myself because I'm no different than anybody else. I got the same issues everybody else has. And I'm praying, God, that you will... Flush these things out as your thumbprint comes down upon each individual, every one of us, God, and you put pressure on us to be more like you. You put pressure on us to speak out our faith. You put pressure on us to reach out to you and get a little closer. As you put that pressure on us, God, I pray that you're going to help us see what it is. You're going to help us, you're going to reveal to us, you're going to give us discernment of spirits, God, that we're going to be able to see things we hadn't seen before that were right there in front of us. Lord, I ask that your sweet Holy Spirit would move right now as I'm speaking. People who have been running away from you, I pray, God, right now, tonight, that you're going to set us free. You're going to help us to see. Instead of running away because of our shame, we need to run to you so that we can find mercy. You're a mercy giver, and we thank you for it. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. If you have a particular issue going on right now, I'm going to ask you to raise your right hand and think about that thing going on in your life, that problem, that infection, that thing that you need to set free from. Lord, you see these right hands raised all over this room. People who acknowledge that they have an issue and they want to be set free from that issue. They don't want to be uh, 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 held behind into the past, God. They want to launch into the future. And So, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you're going to let something happen this next week. In the next seven days, God, let something happen in their life that opens that up, that wound up, and begins the healing process. We speak to the power of Satan because I know that he's attached himself to some of us in this room, an oppression, not, not, a, not a possession, but a, a, an oppression. I know he has. I speak to you, Satan. You've got to leave. You've got, uh, over these next days, as, as truth is coming out, I tell you, you've got to leave in the name of Jesus. Let the power of God move through the saints, the men and the women and the boys and girls of God. We expect it because we're praying this in Jesus' glorious name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen."